Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we are going to do bold predictions for the 2021 defensive rookies. Last week, we did offensive rookies. Me and Mike have eight apiece bold predictions for the 2021 defensive rookies. We also, at the back end of the podcast, have an interview with the electric Georgia Tech head coach, Jeff Collins. Let's get it. Jeff Collins told me he does not, he and his wife do not cook. They eat out every meal a day. Uber Eats. Holy shit. And I, he said it with a straight face and I was like stunned. It's on the interview at the back end of the podcast. And I, can you imagine eating out that many times? Cause we got on the food conversation at Atlanta. Cause they, you know, Georgia Tech is doing so much with, you know, for the 404, we're in Atlanta. This is where you want to be in addition to being obviously yeah. at Georgia Tech. And I was like, okay, talk to me about the food scene. And he's like, well, Uber Eats has a lot of recommendations. He's like, I eat their lunch and dinner every single day. How how insane is that? That's I, I don't I don't get how you continue to progress. Like Man. that that is absurd. I I cook every meal virtually every like I will Uber Eats. I, I can't tell you the last time Uber Eats anything, and, and I don't really go out to eat that much. So that's very foreign to me because I also I think that's foreign to a lot of people. Yeah, that, that's wild. Um, they're just flushing money down the drain dude he's sipping out of a waffle house soda cup too the guy was the stuff he's like when you come out here we're gonna meet you at the waffle house and it's like oh man i freaking love he also was a big skyline chili guy he talks about skyline chili he's like man i miss it and i was uh that was interesting are there little skyline chili guys i feel like if you're a skyline chili guy you're probably true you're committed you're pot committed for sure but man uber eats georgia tech is fueling Uber Eats. Could be an official sponsor. <laughs> like he was repping Uber Eats like he was, he was paid to do Uber so. Uber Eats isn't even like the best DoorDash, I feel like it's the best. Well, but Uber Eats has started to dip into exclusivity with restaurants. And oh. I think they're trying out new things where like, hey, on Uber Eats, you can only get, you know, the only place you can get this restaurant I is Uber Eats, which I think like is a smart way for those chains to try and separate themselves. But let's not get into the business acumen of Uber Eats. Let's get into some bold prediction for 2021 defensive rookies. Mike, the offensive rookies won. I got a little hot and heated on the Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson. Who has the better supporting yeah. cast? I tweeted it out. You were not happy about it. I was talking about it with our producer, Max, before we started recording. Would you rather have Corey Davis okay. or Marvin Jones? Corey Davis. Okay. Would you rather have Denzel Mims or Marvin Jones? Okay. Uh, Denzel Mims. And would you rather have Elijah Moore or LaVisca Chanel Jr.? Now, that one's tough. Uh, probably Elijah Moore. And th this is the conversation. Like, I, I, and, like, you can say DJ Chark is better than all three of the Jets receivers. That's fine. Or all four if you include Jameson Crowder. And they have Keenan Cole. You can say that. But there's just no way you could say the receiving core as a whole, the Jets is not better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, I, I just, I, is Tim Tebow entering the conversation? And but some people also, are bringing up running backs. I don't care about running backs. I'm talking about who they're throwing the ball to consistently. And then you talk about the offensive line. I think the Jets are Morgan Moses away. Who is interested? Who's visited the Jets from being there? I think they're from having a better offensive line. Uh, I do think Jags is going to be a better offensive line this year. I do. Okay. So. Gotcha. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Let's get into some bold predictions for the defensive rookies here. You start. I was going to say, if you listen to the last podcast, you got a little preview. Oh, that's right. <laughs> begin with. This one, she comes no surprise. It is Andre Sisco. The third rounder, Jacksonville Jaguars, safety out of Syracuse, leads all rookies in interceptions. Hell yeah. Now, obviously he's no shoo-in to start right out the gate as a third rounder. Um, and having signed, you know, Rashawn Jenkins this offseason, Jacksonville, um, he's obviously coming off an ACL. Mm -hmm. But this is who Cisco is. And, mind you, he's playing in a division with Carson Wentz. And if you also listen to last week's pod, Davis Mills within the first six weeks. So... I do think that he will be picking off one of them at least once. And then you got three others to deal with. But leads all leads all rookies and interceptions, at least four. I like that. where I'm going with that. He's gonna give up some big plays though. I mean I mean I'm not gonna like say he's not. I'm just saying he's gonna lead all rookies and interceptions. He was 
Andre Sisko's tape is absolutely absurd. I think going back and watching it, like there's so many times where you are stoked. You are stoked that Andre Sisko's on the football field. And there's other times like, man, I don't know about that decision. And I think that, I mean, a lot of the Syracuse secondary was like that. You saw a lot of up and down, a lot of roller coaster play from Andre Sisko. All right, I have here Patrick Sertan will finish as, and this is not all that bold, but I do think predicting cornerback grades is tough because they are so volatile. And looking at, you know, J.C. Horn was the top corner off the board. There's other cornerbacks a lot of people like, Caleb Farley to Tennessee. I think Patrick Sertan will be the highest graded outside cornerback among rookies. I think he's going to be put in a very good position to succeed in that Denver defense, and I think he's not going to give up a ton of big plays. And when you look at rookie cornerbacks and their grades, it's heavily, heavily reflected, like PFF coverage grades. If you give up big explosive plays, if you give up big plays, you're going to get torched in PFF's grading system. And yeah. I just don't see in that system him doing that. J.C. Horn, you know, going to play a lot more press. You have to imagine in that Carolina defense, you're going to be put. He's going to be put in a position where he is, as a rookie, could be grading lower than Patrick Sertan. So I do think Sertan is the highest graded outside cornerback among rookies. I'm very curious. So I'm going to hit mine here also in a second. But I first want to say I'm very curious to see how this Broncos secondary shakes out because they paid. Ronald Darby, $10 million a year. They paid Cal Fuller, I believe, also $10 million a year. Those are outside cornerbacks. They, they have Bryce Callahan, who's obviously one of the better slot cornerbacks, more versatile cornerbacks in the NFL. Or excuse me, 9.5 for Cal Fuller. Do you think one of those guys who's making that amount of money, they're going to be happy just sitting on the bench for Bachelor Tan right out the gate? That's tough. Be because it's like those guys. They have an embarrassment of riches like, at they, corner. When you're on a Cal Fuller on a one-year deal. Uh, Darby on a three-year deal, you're taking money from them right away if you don't start them. Like Kyle Fuller, if you don't start him on the outside after he just signed for this money, he's going to be pissed because he's not going to get another contract next year. So yeah. he's going to say, you know, release me, trade me, whatever right now. So I'm not sure. They just have a a bit of a logjam on their hands. I might Patrick Sertan, even though even if he is better, maybe you know looking better than those other two, he might be just the odd man out because you can't. You don't want to lose. No, I mean, I don't think that's something I factored into there. this bold prediction. I, I kind of assumed he'd see the football field and he yeah. would start over those veterans. But when you do factor in the cap, you know, the cap aspect of it and the veteran presence of it, I do think he definitely rotates in. Do you think yeah. he'll play him in the slot maybe and try and get him some experience there before anything? Well, Callahan's your slot. Like, Callahan's fantastic there. So I, I, I'm i just curious. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I'm not, I have no insight. I'm just saying, I'm curious to see how it shakes out. Maybe, maybe the Patrick Sertan pick was an investment in the future. I mean, it is. Like, yeah. that's, you don't, you don't, you don't let that dictate who you're going to take if the guy's top on your board, for sure. But you just don't have to necessarily start a guy right away. you got four more years of Sertan after this year, so not a big deal there. My pick for highest-graded rookie, outside rookie, and you know who I'm going here, Sante Samuel Jr., because... Highest-graded outside corner? Yes. He's going to play on the outside? I mean, Chris Harris, you're yeah, back there. Yeah, true. He signed specifically with the Chargers because he didn't want to play, or not didn't want to play outside, but he wanted to be the slot when the slot was an option. Um, and... and I think I said this on a previous podcast. Brent Staley, three DBs every single play um, for the most part. I think it was over 80% of their plays. Troy Hill was their, was their nickelback last year for LA. Played damn near 1,000 snaps during the regular season. So he'll be playing um, Asante Samuel. Now maybe in complete base defense, he comes off the field for Chris Harris and Michael Davis. But he'll be your starter at outside. Man, I think Asante Samuel Jr. starting an outside cornerback as a rookie, that will be an interesting development. If he does yeah. grade well and he is the highest graded outside cornerback, that's going to be honestly really, really impressive. I don't know. I don't know if he gets there, man. That's going to be tough. I think Brandon Staley, obviously, in that defense, we've talked about so much about he's the steal and a perfect fit for that scheme. But playing on the outside right out of the gate in the NFL with his size, I, that's going to be a tall order, man. And if he does achieve that, that's going to be – it's going to speak volumes to who he is as a player. Um, absolutely. All right, I'm going to linebacker here. Jamin Davis – I'm not saying grade, but he leads all rookie linebackers. I'm going to say all rookies in tackles. I think he's going to lead all rookies in tackles. I think that's that's. So you're saying he's going to be defensive rookie? So I'm going to say he's going to be defensive rookie of the year. I think when we had that, <laughs> so we had the defensive rookie of the year podcast recently, and we didn't bring up Davis enough. I think because Davis is working behind argu arguably, what, nice at situation. least a top three defensive line in the NFL. Yeah. At least, maybe even number two behind. Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh losing Bud Dupree. I, I don't know. There's conversation there. There's a conversation to Washington having the best defensive line in the NFL. I think playing behind Washington, that defensive line, he's going to have a lot of opportunity to tackle, yeah. and he's going to immediately see the field. That is a huge opportunity for him. I think if he does lead the you know lead the league in tackles, I think he will be defensive rookie of the year. Um, and while there's potential that Micah Parsons does it, I know Zayvon Collins also picked in the first round for the Arizona Cardinals. Parsons is 
There are so many linebackers in Dallas. You know, Mike McCarthy was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and talked about, we, he said Keanu Neal was the best free agent Will linebacker we saw. Hmm. He's like, that's why we went and got him. And then they bring in Jabril Cox. Then they have Micah Parsons, Leighton Banderash, and Jalen Smith. They said, you know, Mike McCarthy spoke to, we want to rotate bodies. So how many snaps is like Parsons really even going to play? Like, I don't know if Parsons is going to play near the amount of snaps that Jamin Davis does. Jamin Davis is going to be out there for like 800,000 snaps next year. Linebacker just does not seem like the position you want a rotation coming in there. It's like you want a guy who is, who's seen what their outside zone looks like so that he can know when they're running boot action off and it's not real. Like who's seen what the offense is doing. It's almost like a hitter in baseball getting to the third and fourth quarter, or excuse me, Jesus, I just mixed that one, getting to the seventh, eighth, and ninth, getting third time through the rotation or third time through the batting order. Now he knows what this pitcher's got. That's what you want your linebacker. You don't want him coming in uh, all of a sudden in the third quarter and being like, okay, what the hell is this? What does their run game look like? It's like, no, you want him to have seen that already. Mm -hmm. So I, I will believe that one when I see that, that they actually have a rotation at linebacker and not just like a two a, – a, at starting duo slash trio that sticks. So you're you're up. My I'm gonna flip that. My linebacker pick. And another one. You're gonna know it. If you guys follow the draft coverage, this is my guy. Nick Bolton is gonna be the D rookie of the year. Wow. And he will lead rookies in tackles. I, I just think that he goes to a situation in Kansas City where they're begging for anyone at the linebacker position. Like they need help desperately. Now their kind of MO has been a lot of dime and really only one backer on the field to try and, you know, Daniel Sorensen kind of plays that dime backer, comes in and drops out of the box a lot. But I do think Nick Bolton, with the way he sees the game, how intelligent he is, should hit the ground running. And, yeah, he might not have the best, you know, defensive line in front of him like Jamin might. But I think that Nick Bolton's far more NFL ready. So there's my pick. Uh, I have another. I have a Nick Bolton bold prediction as well, and it's not maybe it's not as bold as yours. I do think Nick Bolton this year becomes the Kansas City Chiefs objectively clear cut best linebacker. I think you you know obviously they invested in Willie Gay. They've had you know they've mulled around with other linebackers in the past. I do think that Nick Bolton immediately becomes like oh wow this is the Chiefs best linebacker and he is going to get the green dot and he is going to be you know leading that defense at the second level and. Honestly, you know, a lot of people talk about bringing in, you know, I think for the Kansas City Chiefs draft strategy, I think a lot of it was bringing in players that could play right now and contribute right now. There's a lot of guys that are going to immediately come in, fill holes, and play right now, whether they have the higher ceilings or bigger projects, whatever. I think Nick Bolton will will meet that bill. I do think that Nick Bolton comes in, like I said, clear-cut best linebacker in KC, though I am a big Willie Gay fan. I think there's an opportunity for them to play together. You know, Nick Bolton putting him in a position to fly sideline to sideline while Bolton is just wearing the green dot and, and honestly... Again, I mean, best clear cut. speed. Bolton's no slouch in his own right in terms of pure athleticism or pure like straight line speed. So, okay, all right. Not <laughs> not as good of an athlete as Willie Gay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one is. Who, who are we talking about? It's That's Willie true. Gay. Willie Gay's rare. All right. Um, my next one. I'm gonna stick. Got a few more cornerback ones here. Caleb Farley leads all rookie cornerbacks in pass breakups for the Tennessee tight ones. I, I, I tight do, ones? You say Tennessee tight ones? <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I do think so. He's built to break up passes and 6'2, 207, long arms, 4'3 speed. Yeah, I get the back injury, but that's more of like a long term concern. That's more like, oh, he might get hurt year two year. It's going to come up at some point. And that's why he fell. It's not a year one necessarily concern if that back is healed. 17 pass breakups in two seasons at Virginia Tech. And that's with him not really even getting challenged that much. That's on 104 targets in his career. And so if he gets challenged more down the football field, I think with his makeup speed, the way he covers ground, he will be a pass breakup. You can consistently rely on him breaking up a lot of passes in the NFL. And that's why he gets drafted. And that's why he wasn't on one corner until the back injuries popped up for PFF. So you're saying he's going to lead all rookies in combined passes, defense, and interceptions? Just pass breakups. Just pass breakups? Okay. And you, But you have Asante Samuel Jr. leading all interceptions. Oh, no, Andre Sisko. Highest-grade highest rookie, Asante Samuel Jr., Andre Sisko interceptions. Gotcha. Very interesting. Awesome. Well, 
Uh, before we jump forward here, I got a little message from our sponsors. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. PFF is also partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. The stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you the new way to invest and profit off your favorite teams. Use promo code PFF and deposit deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. Next on my bold predictions. Micah Parsons, though I did say won't play a ton of snaps, will still be PFF's highest-graded rookie linebacker and will record at least four sacks. I think he's going to be used as a pass rusher a lot. I think they talked about that on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, and that's where he's going to be best utilized, man. He's going to be able to rush the passer right out of the gate. We talked about it in the pre-draft process that he might be the best pass rusher you know, in this draft class, if he played, if he was a pure edge defender, but I do think they're going to use him on the line of scrimmage. They're going to blitz him. They're going to try and get him after the quarterback, and he's going to succeed. I think at least four sacks and highest graded rookie linebacker on roughly you know three hundred to four hundred snaps. The only thing Dan Quinn's mo was not blitz heavy. Never been, not his thing. We'll be curious to see if that changes because personnel wise. That's they should be blitzing. Yeah, you know you have the linebackers to do it in Dallas, but has not been. There's not been. It's not what they did in Atlanta. So we'll see. I don't hate on that purely from talent perspective. Obviously, Parsons is a dude. So my next one here, I got a few. I got a bunch. I had a bunch of cornerback ones. We'll stick at cornerback. This one's going to be my classic Packers pick. Shamar Jean Charles, their fifth rounder, number one seventy eight overall, plays more snaps than Eric Stokes. In year one. Wow. Their first round pick. You just hate Eric Stokes. Okay. Nope. Nope. I do not hate Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes is a solid player. He's a top 100 player on PFS draft board. If you're top 100 player on PFS draft board, I don't hate you. You you don't hate him, I guess. But I just think the path to the field is kind of a logjam for Eric Stokes. And now that's not saying that, obviously, Kevin King much maligned after the last time we saw him. But I do think him and Josh Jackson, at least Josh Jackson, that defense is a great fit for him. We've talked about that. I think the scheme change, this is it for Josh Jackson. Year four has flashed at times, never been consistent enough to see the field. But both of those guys are outside cornerbacks. There's really Shannon Sullivan's your slot. You don't have a path to the field that's really blocking Shamar Jean Charles as much as what it would be for for Stokes, like mm-hmm. the Stokes, Jackson, King are not dropping down and playing the slot. None of those guys are, uh, and, and you're obviously not going to move Jai Alexander. I would think you're not. You'd be crazy to, in my opinion, move Jai Alexander from the outside. So, you just have a much quicker path to the field, in my opinion, for Jamar and Sheen Charles than Eric Stokes at this point. Now, if Stokes is a dude from day one. Obviously, he starts, but that's my. That's why it's a bold fucking prediction. We didn't talk about Gene Charles a ton on the pre-draft podcast. Give us your scouting report on, on the App State kid. I mean, so he played outside App State, and he was tiny, though, like really undersized, but played physical for being undersized. A, a very easy transition, a very easy projection to play the slot. That's where he gets drafted to play. So, I do not have another cornerback. You you spent a lot of time on the secondary here. I don't have another quarterback take. I do have, I guess I do have a safety take later. But Jalen Phillips, Miami edge defender, former Miami edge defender, now currently playing for the Miami Dolphins, uh, leads all rookies in sacks, pressures, and is the highest graded rookie edge defender in 2021. I I thought about Quiddy Pay. I really like it. I really like the coverage on the back end in Miami. I think Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, Javon Hot, like they have a lot, and I like I love. Obviously, maybe not saving Howard. We'll see. Hold on. It's quote unquote a unique situation. I don't think it's a contract discussion. He just signed like a monster deal. I think it's more could be something more personal. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I, I do not imagine the Xavier Howard quote unquote unique situation is going to be a problem. I think Xavier Howard's still there, and um, I absolutely love what they're doing on the sidelines there. The coach, um, I'm blanking on his name. Can't believe I'm blanking. Brian, Brian Flores. Flores. Brian Flores. I think that defense gonna be really good. And Jalen Phillips is already their best defensive lineman, at least best edge defender. A lot of people like Christian Wilkins, but like. 
they did not have, you know, Emmanuel Ogba, Andrew Van Ginkle. Like, this was not a team that had star don't power. Andrew Van Ginkle. Yeah, I know. I'm going to hate on Andrew Van Ginkle. I do think that they don't have star power. Jalen Phillips is a star. Like, if he's healthy, plays a full 17 games, he's going to be, in my opinion, the highest-graded rookie edge defender and lead in sacks and pressures. Like, I think that's how good he was. People, people talk about Jalen Phillips like he's this – and he is a project. Former five-star, all this athleticism in the world, you know, number one ranked recruit out of California – but he was also on true pass sets, like top three in pass rush win rate list last year. Like he was winning consistently, had very, very good tape. Yeah. The prime, there are less concerns for me about his polish than there are his injury history. Like his polish, can he get better? Absolutely. Like he still can get more polished. But I do think that Jalen Phillips is ready to contribute right now yeah. if healthy. And he's healthy right now. So I like Jalen Phillips a ton. I think he's going to be ahead of Pay, ahead of Adafi Owe, these other guys, and, and actually be sacks, pressures, and highest graded among the edge. See, I would not go that far in my who I picked for my rookie sack leader. And it's but I, I didn't say highest grade, whatever. That's it. I don't need to. Don't say that. whatever like that. Don't you turn down my bold prediction like you that? You drew you up for the full triumvirate. I'm just going rookie sack leader is going to be Aziz Ojolari. Ooh. Giants edge defender. I think he's in a very good went to a perfect situation for him and how they scheme their defense. Obviously going to have a ton of opportunity. You lose, they lost Kyler Fackrell. He's just going to take over Kyler Fackrell's role, I would imagine. And with kind of the beef they have in the interior, he's going to be a weapon on stunts. A very a very Alden Smith-esque sack. I don't want to say sack total, but like a situation where when you have those guys in the interior that can just hold those offensive linemen up for you. The Justin Smiths of the world makes your life a lot easier as an edge rusher. And I do think that that's kind of what we're going to see from Ojulari off the rip here. So Aziz Ojolari, your rookie sack leader, fell to where he did, obviously, kind of like Phillips, where it wasn't, he's more talented than that. He just had the injury that caused him to fall into the mid-second. Where would you rank this Giants secondary? Obviously, Adore Jackson, James Bradbury on the outside. They have a combination of Darnay Holmes and Aaron Robinson to play the slot. Logan Ryan, Will Peppers at safety, along with Xavier McKinney and Julian Love. Like, top depth, five. Like, top five? Top five. I mean, they've... The hilarious thing is, I mean, Dave Gettleman, um, not an analytics believer, literally does what did what we said to do in the secondary, which is make your weakest link as strong as possible. Yeah. He's throwing the kitchen sink at that secondary. Yeah, the or Dory Jackson pickup was awesome. And or, already having Darnay Holmes, I know it was just a fourth-round pick, but then but, to go get Aaron then, Robinson, yeah. another really good slot cornerback there in the third. You have a slot cornerback who's fine, and you draft another one. Like yeah. that and, and and with a somewhat valuable pick in the top of the third. Like those are that's what we say to do. That's what kind of won the Bucks. I'm kind of excited about this Giants defense. I mean, yeah. Dexter I mean, Lawrence, Leonard Williams, them, Azizo Jolari. I picked them to win the division on uh draft night, didn't I? Oh wow. I think I stand by that. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Bold prediction season. You love to see it. All right. Moving to Christian Barmore. I have him ranking inside the top 15 at his position among defensive tackles and total pressures. I think he comes in and ranks top 15 in total pressures. Hey, now that's bold. I like I like Barmore to come in hot. I think Barmore works with Bell. You know, the big, biggest concern with Barmore coming out of Alabama was not talent. It was mm -hmm. playing up and down. You know, there's times where he flashed and there's times where he's out of it. I think Belichick gets him flashing all day long. I think he starts really early in that in that defense and gets some significant reps, at least on passing downs, and um, cleans up, man. I think he cleans up. I think that secondary is another really good one in the NFL. When you're talking about you know guys getting pressures, guys getting sacks, you want to have hold up on the back end. You want that extra second uh, to rush the passer. And I think Barmore gets it. Yeah, they have a very jaggy interior. Jaggy? Jaggy. Just a guy. -y. I oh. mean, Lawrence guy. Devon Godshaw, Henry Anderson, he's literally just a guy. Um, <laughs> Zietrich-wise, that was atrocious. Uh, I, I do think Barmore can get onto the field fairly easily. Now, rookie edge defender, though, 15, top 15. That was 43 pressures to get to top 15 last year. Among DTs? Yeah, that was top 15. To be finished top 15 in defense tackle, you had to have 43 pressures. That's a tall order. Tall order. I didn't realize DTs are racking up 40-plus pressures. Yeah. Damn. So I, I do not. Derek Brown got to 34. So I could see him beating out Derek Brown. I could see him getting 40-plus. I'm going to say 40-plus now. I, yeah. I, I, I should have looked at what top 15 took last year, but I think 40-plus. I'm going to say that. I'm going to pivot my bull prediction 40 to 40-plus. I think he so gets 40-plus. if he 40 gets 41 and finishes 16th, you still get it. Yeah. Fair. Okay. Uh, my next bull prediction. Oh my God, my last two came in real tame. They're regrettable in retrospect. But... I think there's like if you so think, my if you last think two are them, kind of tame. If you think about them, they're bold. 
I think Josh Kando starts the Chiefs. Fourth round pick starting at defensive end, not often happening. I think it does. Josh Kando starts the Chiefs. Over who? Okay, so they don't, that's the thing. They don't have a lot there. They have Taco Charlton and Mike Dana in front of them. But Obviously opposite of Frank Clark. Opposite of Frank Clark. He's not going to start with Frank Clark. But that's Josh Kendo's starter. What's your opinion of that Chiefs defensive line? Frank Clark, Derek Nottie, Chris Jones, with a little Tershawn Wharton mixed in, Jerron Reed. It's good enough. I mean, Jones and himself. Jones. Yeah, Jones by himself <laughs> kind of elevates that yeah. one. Uh, it's like they, they can stop the run at least. They could stop the run at least, which is, <laughs> I mean, how good is that? All right, let's. Uh, I got Trayvon Morig is the highest graded Raiders defender Ooh, okay. and leader in combined pass breakups and INTs. I think Trayvon Moore comes in is immediately the highest graded defender, and he leads, obviously, the team in PBUs and INTs. I do think that I mean, it's not a tall order. It's not a tall order. There's not a lot of talent along that defense. But Shots I do think Cleveland. I think Gus Bradley's going to put him in a position to succeed. And I think he's going to be in a really, really good spot, playing that deep safety role, letting Jonathan Abrams come up. And ideally, this this defense ranks or performs a lot better. I think Mina Kimes said on Around the Horn that since 2018. What's Around the Horn stuff? I know. I saw it on Twitter, I guess. Okay. Um, since 2018, the Raiders defense ranks like 32nd in every defensive metric you, that it matters. And a lot of that was with Paul Gunther, who is no longer there. I think bringing Gus Bradley... I don't even think the talent level for the Raiders defense has improved all that much. You're going to get some development from Cleveland Furl again, Max Crosby, um, Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, Jonathan Abrams. Like, There's a lot of young players on this defense that you ideally see develop. Mm -hmm. But then you also add in you know, Trayvon Morrig, and I do think that, or Merrig, um, he's immediately their highest grade player. And he's, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how good this Raiders defense is. Because if it does take a significant step forward, and Derek Carr continues to be that like marginally top eight quarterback, that top eight to top 12 quarterback, uh, they'll exceed expectations. It's a little side note. I, I think I watched maybe the first hundred or so around the horns. Like I remember back when back? they were when they used Last to. Time? No, like when around the horn debuted um, back in early two thousands. I want to say I would come home from school every day to watch it. Wow, it was uh, that PTI? I would watch every single one. I remember they would count like how many wins they had at that point because it was all so early on, and I would. I like knew how many wins they all had. I was kind of a weird kid. That's but. a little interesting. All right. My last one here. Final one. Number eight. Again, maybe not maybe not the strongest of takes. I have my last one's kind of rough too. The uh, defensive line here. And this is kind of a strong take. So I, I think Cam Sample plays more snaps than Joseph Asai for the Bengals. Had to go a hometown one. So Cam Sample drafted drafted around later, mm -hmm. the two lane edge defender, drafted in the fourth, Asai in the third. I think Sample plays more snaps. I, I think he closely replicates what Sam Hubbard brings to the table from a skill set perspective. We can go outside, inside, uh, how he wins. I just think Osai is going to be, if he does see the field at all, is going to be a pure third down guy from the rim. What's your expectations if he does see more snaps for, for Sample? Sample? I, I think he's going to be solid. I, this is not a qualifying. I don't Bold think. prediction. Get that on a that, he outplays a guy, that he outplays a guy who was at the same position drafted around earlier, though. Yeah. And That's he's solid. Cool. I love like, it. Yeah. All right. My last one Aline McNeil, new Detroit Lions defensive tackle, also former NC State phenom, ranks top five among nose tackles in yep. pass rush win rate. So, from a nose tackle alignment, head up or shade down the center, I think he's going to have a top five pass rush rate, pass rush win rate in the NFL. Why do I bring that up? Oh, Derek Brown last year ranked second among all, all nose tackles with at least 100 reps from the nose. He's going to get more than 100 reps from the nose, I think. And I think he he, he matches, if not exceeds, where Derek Brown was last year. He's going to beat out John Pinasini. John Pinasini has been beat out for a while. Okay. John They've been Pinasini's beating out Pinasini for too long, in my opinion. You have, not me. Uh, I do think, though, Aleem built to win, built to walk back some centers. Now, let's think of the centers, though, in the north. You've got... In Green Bay, Josh Myers gonna be a rookie. That's always nice. Garrett Bradbury, mm. we've seen him get walked back. Yeah, and then Co Cody Whitehair with the Bears. It's good. It'll be a Probably test. Be much Whitehair, It'll be a but, test. But I do think you got two other ones there that are ripe, ripe for your pass. All he needs right? is the snaps. And I think if you're playing Penasini on early downs and then playing Ali McNeil on passing downs, I think you're gonna see some success, especially from that nose alignment. Go back and watch Ali McNeil. 
pass rush from the nose. The dude was a yeah. savant. Like, it was incredible. It, again, I still think, because he was recruited by all the Blue Bloods. Savant, yeah. a strong word. Okay. I apologize. Can I take it back? Yeah. He was good. Solid. Solid's one word you like, <laughs> so I could say that. Uh, solid guy. Um, I mean, he was recruited by all the Blue Bloods. I've said this a thousand times, but still, like, he, he plays for Alabama. difficult to handle on the nose. I agree. 100%. Yeah. I think he goes to Alabama. I don't think he falls as far as he did. Like, sure. I think he has a lot, a lot more hype playing at NC State. Obviously, he hasn't played the position all that long either. He played yeah. linebacker, Wearing running back in high school. Just a bad Dude, aesthetic. is he... Man, it's 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 unfortunate. We haven't had a ton of conversation about the rules change for the numbers on this podcast. And that was our last bold prediction. We're going to get to um, the interview with Jeff Collins here, the Uber Eats savant. Can I say savant for that? that you can, yeah. <laughs> um, we haven't had a lot of conversation about the numbers change. I think they should have made it across the board. Why did they even make any limiting factors for defensive linemen and stuff? I wanted to see Aline McNeil in the 29. It's, I don't... Like, just so for college, forgive my ignorance, are you allowed to wear any number in college? Like, how does that yeah. work? Yeah. Oh, okay. You just can't have two numbers on the field at the same time. That should be the same rule in the NFL. Yeah. Even though Tom Brady on his IG that when it first came out was like just so upset that, you know, you're never going to be able to identify the mic. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. I remember what I still cracks me up when Devin Gardner was wearing 97 for like two years and he was just trash or 98 excuse me he was, and he was just trash with it that was that always cracked me up. Was, was it like goodson the bj goodson that linebacker playing like 98 for a while that linebacker for the giants oh he still does 97 oh, okay seven or something 97 i mean that was always a fair linebacker number but Devin gardner was quarterback wearing oh. 98 it looked hilarious that, like that's jones wearing 50 in practice well he always does that bill belichick always wears 50 for the rookies i know it's funny though um, i have high expectations for cam this upcoming season too i know it's not bold prediction season but i saw a quote from an OTA saying he's a lot better. I'm in. I'm all in. Cam, what's your what's been your favorite you the video? Can, can we talk about this? Can we talk about the last thing before we get to the um, Jeff Collins interview? What's been your favorite, not OTA overreaction, or give me a couple of your favorite OTA quotes, OTA reports. Oh no, out. my my favorite was the video of four throws of Cam Newton and Mac Jones. It just shows Cam Newton missing two, Mac Jones hitting two. When it's like. Four throws. <laughs> yeah, that, that was tough. I, I don't know who tweeted that out, but that was brutal. Like putting that like, next to each other is just not okay. Yeah, it's like you could have cherry picked the two misses. You know, it's yeah. it's really Those not. Those were indicative. ugly misses from Cam. Though. I mean, they were. They were. I'm not gonna try to eschew him of any blame in those throws, but it's just you can chop up, you know, a two hour practice, and if you show the low lights to someone, they look like shit. Yeah. So, what about the? Tua talking about a little five picks, five and, picks, a, five and, a picks and a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's then they failed to mention or not failed to mention. They mentioned later it's like uh, who's the back who's the backup for for them? The Jacoby Brissett. Mm -hmm. Like oh, Jacoby Brissett also threw three. <laughs> it's like oh okay, so there's just no way anyone could pass, and that's weather. So okay, I don't know how does how does OTA coverage get better? Because I I don't think it's good enough right now. I don't think we're doing a good enough job. What do you mean? I love it. I, I love the fact that it's just you get this tiny little snippet and everyone has to react as if it's I think they should stream a, OTAs a sample live. size of a full season. Stream OTAs live. That's yeah, I mean, like obviously that would be sick. Sure. Yeah. Like make it have everyone be on NFL network. Okay, exactly. cool. OTAs I'll, live. That'd be fun. But it's the NFL's I, I will I'll not say never do that. They might end up doing that. I, I do think they're moving more towards transparency with the more that these clips of stuff on social, whatever, go viral. And, and the more like coaching and those sort of points are all out there, I, yeah. I do think that's kind of going to be the end game is that the more access. I mean, every press conference is streamed live. Yeah. You know, every press conference is streamed live from their team Twitter accounts. Like, well, I think you could get to a point where some of the practices, like, let's start with streaming some of the practices yeah. live and see what the audience is for those and that type of stuff. I think yeah. that could be, a, and it doesn't even have to be all parts of the OTAs. Like, it could be a certain part of your OTAs that you're uh -huh. willing to stream live because you don't obviously want to, you know, unveil the secrets and let Bill Belichick get the cams in. You, 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 you I'm here he does. <laughs> let's be honest. The cams are in. The yeah. cams are in. All right, enough, enough chit chat here. You're done. You're off the team. We're going to the interview with Georgia Tech head coach, Uber Eats supporter, Waffle House supporter, Jeff Collins. <sighs> now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is Georgia Tech head coach, Jeff. Collins. Jeff, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. And where I'd really like to start is, is take it back a little bit. I know you're from Georgia area. I think you graduated from Rockdale County High School there in Conyers, Georgia. How close is that to Atlanta? Because I know you have a lot. You are a big fan of Atlanta right now, that city there where Georgia Tech plays. How close is, it that, is that to Atlanta and that stadium? 
So I, I was born the Cab Memorial Hospital, which is eight miles uh, east from here. My uh, goodness. Grew up on Columbia Drive, which is just is indicator. And then I went to high school out in Conyers. Uh, from my grandmother's house out in Conyers to my office right now is about 25 minutes. That's absolutely incredible. And you were a GA at Georgia Tech kind of earlier in your coaching career and then obviously worked your way up to FIU, Mississippi State, Florida, Temple, and then now at Georgia Tech and played linebacker at Western Carolina, a very deep playing and coaching background. Where I'd like to start, honestly, is some of the coaches that you've coached for in the past, Dan Mullen at Mississippi State and then Jim McElwain at Florida. What were some of the what were some of the impacts or the bigger impact that those two coaches specifically had on you? And what were some of the takeaways, whether that's philosophical or even schematic takeaways that you had from working under Mullen and McElwain. One of the biggest pieces is my, my college career coaching started with George O'Leary here at Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I was a graduate assistant for him, old school, uh, old school guy, um, tough, uh, disciplined, attention to detail, all of those things. I was born and raised in his system. I uh, was here for three years with him, coached again for him uh, at UCF. Um, then I was with Nick Saban at the University of Alabama his first year laid the ground floor for all of the success that he's had and was blessed to learn a ton from him. And then you talked about the, the Dan Mullen piece. Uh, so I was with him for four years uh, at Mississippi State and his lineage comes from uh, Urban Meyer. So a lot of the, the philosophies and the way the programs run are directly from Coach Meyer. So I've been blessed to be in a family tree of Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, George O'Leary, and uh, it was a blessing to be brought up that way. But the biggest piece was working for Jim McElwain at the University of Florida, back-to-back -to -back top five defenses, back-to-back -back, uh, SEC East champ, played in the SEC championship game. But my biggest takeaway those two years with Coach Mack was to be yourself. I've got great lineage. I've been mentored by some of the best in the game. Some of the best systems that are in the game um, are part of who I am in my DNA. But Matt taught me to be myself, make sure whatever philosophies you've learned, they come through your personality, your belief system, and who you truly are, or else you'll be, come across to recruits and players as disingenuous or fake. And when that happens, you've lost them. And so I, I was blessed to be around him and then going to be the head coach at Temple for two years and then now uh, going on to the third year here in my hometown of Atlanta. You've also coached a ton of absurd talent. Keanu Neal there at Florida, Vernon Hargraves. I remember Fletcher Cox there at Mississippi State. And something that I find fantastic about you know what you're doing at Georgia Tech, obviously been there since 2019, is the culture. You know, you said something in a recent uh, interview, built on effort and competitions. And we carry ourselves with relentless positive energy. And I've done a handful of coach interviews, head coach interviews in the college level over the past few weeks. And something that's consistent with you know, coaches like yourself that are trying to bring a program forward. You're trying to legitimately change what Georgia, took, Georgia Tech football is. Obviously, going from triple option to running a lot more different offensive concepts. Now, a lot of it is that energy and that on and off the field energy. And I think that's something I totally respect about what you're doing there at Georgia Tech. Moving forward a little bit, I'd be interested to hear on the recruiting side, what are the, what are some unique techniques that you're using on the recruiting side? You already have four, uh, three four-star commits for the 2022 class at a top five class in the ACC in 2020. Where are you getting unique or what are some of your unique techniques, obviously competing in what is an uber competitive ACC with Clemson and these other guys? Sure. So you've already alluded to the fact that we're in Atlanta, we're in the 404 and we're proud to represent it um, at one of the top four academic schools in the country. So those things are immediate, those, are, those aren't gonna change. Everybody knows those things. One of the biggest strengths that, that I've been blessed with is the staff that I've been able to put together. The men that I, I've known for a long time from different eras and different parts of my uh, coaching lineage from where I've been, I've been able to bring them here and just the way they vibe, the energy, the belief system that they have and what we're building here. You know, recruits come, because we're right in the heart of Atlanta. So wherever you go in the southeast, east, west, north, south, whatever, you're going to converge at some time through Atlanta. And we get bus tours or we get guys come through all the time, and it's the vibe, right? Outcast said, it's the vibe, y'all. And that's, <laughs> what, that's what happens when you walk into our building. Our facilities are really nice. The campus is really nice. Being in downtown Atlanta is awesome. But it is the people every single day in our program. Then they get around our players and just the vibe that's around our program with our guys. They see our guys work. They get to hang around them. They see us vibing with the players. 
They see the players vibing together and the coaches vibing together. You can't fake that. Regardless of what facility, where city, what academic uh, ranking it is, if the vibe in the locker room, if the vibe in the building is not what you're looking for, then you're not going to be attracted to it. Um, we, I think the last two years we've had two of the youngest rosters in college football. Bleacher Report re-ranked our freshman class from last year as one of the top ten in America, and they're great players. And we're building something special here, but it's the energy that we play with. It's the relationships that we have, player to player, coach to coach, coach to player, that, that makes this place um, a difference maker and has us poised to be one of the elite programs in college football like Georgia Tech should be. I've heard so many good things about, you know, like you said, the energy, the vibe of Atlanta. I have a lot of friends who are from Atlanta or have been to Atlanta. Can you sell me on the food in Atlanta, though? I've heard food. The food there in Atlanta is also very good. I'm a big food guy. Cincinnati. I'm here in Cincinnati. That's where PFF is based. The food in Cincinnati is horrendous. Talk to me about the food there in Atlanta. (laughs) <laughs> Let me get a first give a shout out to Skyline Chili. I don't know if that, <laughs> that, that's going to be my first spot if I come visit you or I come to those studios. We're going there, right? Immediately. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I think it starts right here with the Waffle House, founded by a Georgia Tech grad. The CEO is a Georgia Tech grad. So if you come down and you visit Atlanta, please go stop there first. But the restaurants, the food scene, uh, anything and everything, like I hop on Uber Eats every day, lunch <laughs> and dinner. My wife and I don't cook. So just the <laughs> option just on Uber Eats is astounding. And then you want to go out for a big time meal or uh, something nice and sit down, whatever. It's got all of it. So come on down, man. I'm coming. I'm on my way. I, you, you had me at Waffle House. I'm a big Waffle yeah. House guy, especially, uh, you know, where, where, depending on what, what you get there. The peanut butter waffles, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Let's uh, get back to football here, getting away from the food. Uh, I want to talk more about, you know, the pivot away from the triple option there. I got some stats here. You know, two years before you went to, you know, got there at Georgia Tech, they were literally take, they took 0% snaps uh, out of 11 personnel and 0.3% snaps out of the gun. Those figures now, since you've taken over, are 88% of the snaps out of the gun and 70% 11 personnel. A complete philosophical change. In addition to the obviously increased pass rate, I think you guys passed well, really 51% of the time this past season. I think that has to be one of the crazier things to have, to have come into Georgia Tech and made those changes. What have been some of the pain points and how are you going to continue to take this offense forward and move this philosophical change forward? Well, I think, you know, first of all, much respect to Coach Johnson and his staff and what they've done. Um, think the world of him and what they've been able to do uh, throughout his career. So that's first and foremost. But just talk about our offense when we were at Temple. Um, I think two of the best three years uh, at passing offenses were while we were there. Um, so we're doing that everywhere. Dave Patnode has been, our offensive coordinator, has been record-setting wherever he's been. And uh, we're just – methodically uh, getting this place to where it should be uh, relative to college football and playing elite offense. Um, you know, we were here this weekend and we showed um, tape of what our game was our last year at Temple. Thursday night, ESPN, Temple versus UCF. I think we had 690 yards of offense. Um, so that's the capabilities that we're building to. Um, we made a philosophical choice when we got here, we were not going to take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. We were going to build this thing the right way. You alluded to the fact that there weren't any tight ends on the roster when we got here. So we wanted to build it the right way and incrementally put talent at that position and utilize that talent as well. And we've done that. Our offensive line, um, we've gotten to where we're six seven at left tackle. We're six six three forty one at right tackle. True freshman started for us last year. Um, we're big in the interior, um, so we're just a longer, bigger football team um, and just excited about the direction that we're going. Um, and our strength coach, even though we're bringing in tremendous talent and skill and length across the board, our head strength coach, Lou Corrala, does an absolutely amazing job with the development of our guys, the before pictures, the after pictures, culturally how they're aligned with us. Um, it, we're, we're building something special, man. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's been an absolute injection of talent over the past few years. Like I said, a top five recruiting class in 2020, already uh, three four-star commits for 2022. A lot of exciting stuff at Georgia Tech football. I'm glad you brought up the strength and conditioning coach. He's a guy who had some motivational techniques as well, man. He's he's clearing waves. He had me ready to run through a freaking brick wall with the wind speech he had the other day. You got some really impressive, impressive people there at Georgia Tech. And and, and you're like this. I've been running around calling him million views lewd. Whenever recruits come in, I'm like, hey, you're going to meet with million views, Lou. Enjoy it. It is an experience. And he is like that all day, every day. National Street Coach of the Year three years ago. He and I worked together at Mississippi State and uh, just think the absolute world of him. And he does a tremendous job uh, with our guys. Million views, Lou. That is sensational. So I spoke a little bit to the injection of talent. I know you've had a lot of transfers, specifically this past offseason. Kyrick McGowan, Devin Cochran, two transfers on the offensive side of the ball. What are your expectations for those two names and also some of the other transfers that you've had, specifically on the offensive side of the ball? And then we'll get to Allende LA. I think I'm pronouncing that name right, but another grad transfer, former four-star. He's, he, he, he is a monster. We'll get to him after that. But on the offensive side of the ball, who are some of those big names that you did have transfer over? Yes, yeah, so, and again, I alluded to the fact that we wanted to build Build this thing the right way. The first two years, we wanted to build it all with high school talent as much as possible. And uh, we did that uh, this past in January. I think we had 13 new guys arrive on campus at the mid-year, which was huge. Four offensive linemen got here in January, all of them six foot five plus. And uh, just the, the injection of talent, knowing the key spots that we really could elevate. Um, I think there's only three that were one-year guys. The rest of the transfers have multiple years. And the cool thing is now that, that they see the vibe, they see the culture on social media, they talk to the players on the team, what this place is really about, what this coaching staff really is like, what the locker room is like, we've become a destination place. And I think in this day and age of social media, you know, having a place like Atlanta that embraces that it's such an elite academic institution and they see how hard we work, how well they're developed, and that we actually enjoy being around each other, playing the game, and have a, a mindset to compete at everything. I, I, it makes us a very attractive uh, landing spot for high school guys and other guys that you know want to return back home after maybe going to another place and seeing what we're building here. It's pretty cool. So talk to me about expectations you have for Yindi Ali. I know it's a guy you're super excited about on the defensive side of the ball. I think he's you know, projected to start there at linebacker. I'm, I'm interested to know your expectations for him and just how exciting he's been this offseason already. Well, regardless of being just an absolute great player and tremendous <laughs> athlete, you look at him, he and I were just hanging out down the locker room about an hour ago. Uh, 6'4", 241, can run, can hit, can make plays, but it's who he is as a human being. He got here in January, four months until we played our spring game. We had the team vote on the captains for the spring game, and Ace was one of the four. So we had Ace, we had Wanya Thomas, our All-American safety, Ryan Johnson, offensive lineman, who was a, a captain last year as well, and Jeff Sims, true freshman quarterback that started every game for us. Those were the four captains uh, for the spring game. So just the level of respect that Ace's game how he works every single day. He's uber talented, but how he affects the locker room, affects his teammates, does it the right way, works his butt off. Um, just so proud that, that he's a part of this program and decided uh, you know, to come from the Big Ten uh, to join us here in Atlanta. Where I'd like to finish, Coach, and I really appreciate the time, is Jeff Sims. Obviously a true freshman quarterback this past year with a ton of high expectations coming into Georgia Tech last year and really playing all those games and a lot of growing pains and a lot of opportunity to improve in those games. Where is the biggest opportunity for Jeff Sims to improve this offseason as he prepares for this year? And again, speak to the expectations you do have for Sims, a captain, a starter, now a true sophomore there at Georgia Tech. So one, of, one of the biggest pieces that, that, is, that is such a, a huge piece for Jeff He's ridiculously talented, too. He's six foot four. He's 220. Uh, he hit 22 miles an hour in the spring game. We were My the goodness. Catapults. He hit 22 miles an hour. He pulled his own read, ran it for 50 in the spring game. So he's, he's ridiculously talented. But he's an unbelievable young man. He is a hard worker. He's a selfless teammate. He's very humble and very coachable. I mean, I, Dave Patnode's office is right down the hallway from me. So whenever I walk through the building, I usually go past Dave's office. Nine times out of 10, Jeff is sitting there. 
watching <laughs> tape, watching things that he needs to get better at, uh, very critical of his own mistakes, wants to get better, uh, wants to positively affect his teammates. And uh, I think he went nine for 10 in the spring game. So he knows where to go with the ball. He knows the offense. He knows rotations of defense and coverage and knows what to do with what he has. Last year as a true freshman, it was going a thousand miles an hour. Um, Blitz is coming from everywhere, but now the game has settled down. Mm -hmm. He sees rotation. He sees the fronts. He knows where to go with the football. He knows where to take the protections. He knows where to take the run game. And he's an unbelievable dude uh, in our program, in our locker room. Really, really awesome stuff. For you. I really appreciate the time. I'm excited for year three of the Jeff Collins era there at Georgia Tech. I'm excited for what you're doing on and off the field there. They're in Atlanta for the 404. Like I said, Coach, really appreciate the time. Appreciate it, Austin, man. Come see us. Absolutely. I'll be there at the Waffle House. I'll meet you at the Waffle House. That's where we'll start, and then we'll get to the stadium after that. <laughs> oh, man. Sounds good. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, man. All of these coaches, Mike, that I've been talking to, I even mentioned it on the interview, but I'm going to reiterate it to you. The energy that you have to have to be a successful program turning head coach in college football is just absurd. And the emphasis you have to place on off the field improvement, I think it's been such a consistent theme in talking to Tom Allen, PJ Fleck, Jed Fish, Herm Edwards, Jeff Collins, all these guys that are objectively trying to turn programs around like do, do you know these people do, these coaches are coming in to try and make them better within their conference you know Arizona has projected two and a half wins this upcoming season he and Jed Fish just took over last year Jeff Collins is trying to make Georgia Tech no longer a triple option team when he first got there there was no tight ends on the roster like he's trying to completely change what they do there like and the energy and the commitment to getting buy-in from kids you know 18 to 22 year olds so much goes into it. So much more goes into it than coaching at the NFL level. And I almost think that it's 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 a completely different game. It's a completely different game from a coaching standpoint from college to the NFL. And I, I think that's another reason why, like, I think it's very difficult for college head coaches to make that transition to the NFL because your responsibilities, your expectations completely change. And how you have to carry yourself and all those things completely change. Yeah, in college, not to say scheme doesn't matter, but... For the head coach, you know, Ed Orgeron is not involved with play calling, schematics. He is a glorified motivational speaker. Like Most of these guys are. <laughs> that, that's, that's the role, though. It's because that's recruiting. It's can you connect with, you know, kids and sell them, basically. Like you're more akin to a salesman than you are. A lot of and like a lot of other professions. Which you're saying that not to be condescending or undermining, but like that is the that is the that's biggest not, like, contribution. Like, what's wrong with the sales? Like that's what you. That's it's a skill. Like it's difficult to do. Not everyone can fucking do that. Yeah. yeah. The biggest contribution any coach can make to its program is recruiting the best talent. Yeah. If you can have a coach come in like PJ Fleck did. PJ Fleck came into Western Michigan, set, rescinded all the scholarship invites before his era. And then went on to have, I think, three or four consecutive best recruiting classes in his conference. That's how you contribute as a head coach. Yeah. If you can do that and come in, and Georgia Tech in 2020 had a top five recruiting class in the ACC. Not easy to do. In 2022, they already have three four-star recruits, which is up there top three among ACC programs. Like, that is difficult to do, especially with, and we didn't get into this a ton, but, like, you have to factor in the academic expectations for Georgia Tech. Like, that is a, a different problem to deal with compared to other ACC schools. Like, there is a... a a, a heightened expectation. Well, honorary these... ACC school Notre Dame has to deal with that too, but yeah, I get it. Well, come on. Notre Dame, let's not bring up Notre Dame. 2020 uh, ACC regular season winner Notre Dame had to deal with that too. Ridiculous. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the 2 for one Drafts podcast this episode. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back next week. We're going to record this episode right now, but we'll be back next week talking about Mike's articles. He wrote the best and worst First round picks since 2006 at every slot, one through 32 picks. Make sure to turn into that. Tune into that episode next week. Until next time, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max, producer Dave, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.